football journalism is a bit like trying to describe a house by looking through the keyhole and you get little glimpses of what things look like in there but every now and again every now and again someone opens the front door and brings you in and that was a moment where I felt I've, I've crossed the threshold I'm inside. In a year that has seen very little live sport the Telegraph's chief football writer Sam Wallace unearthed a story that rocked the world of football plans to reduce the size of the top division in England, scrap or modify some of the cup competitions and introduce B teams. They're the reigning Premier League champions and now Liverpool are at the heart of Project Big Picture, the controversial plan to tear up and reshape English football. Manchester United's billionaire owners, the Glazer family, are also driving towards what will be the biggest shake-up of the game since the Premier League breakaway in 1992. I called Sam to find out more, but before I asked him how he got hold of these controversial proposals, I wanted to find out a little bit more about his job at The Telegraph and how he got into sports journalism. It's a kind of role that I share uh, with my colleague Jason Burt, who's uh, the chief football reporter, which is a lot of chiefs. Uh, we, we both work, obviously, we're both full-time. We are part of a big team of football reporters at The Telegraph, the biggest I've ever worked in. All the regions very well covered. I I was a trainee at the Telegraph more than 20 years ago. I've worked in Manchester for the Telegraph. I had 11 years at the Independent as their chief football writer, and I've been at the Telegraph back at the Telegraph for a sort of second stint for five years. I trained, as I'm sure you did, as a news reporter. I I trained at the Telegraph's um, graduate trainee scheme. I was really fortunate to get a, to to join them at that time in the late 90s and I got what I felt was a really decent grounding um, like a lot of trainee schemes we were moved around different departments and sport was somewhere which was a very big department as it is now at the Telegraph and also very um, keen to help young journalists uh, a lot of experience there and it ended up that I was offered my first ever contract beyond the trainee contract as a as a general sports reporter in about uh, it was about 2001 I think so that's just that's where I ended up and and I've never regretted it I've I, I love I love covering football I love the live action obviously but you know what we're going to talk about today as well the politics and the finance of it is is equally fascinating do you have to be passionate about sports to be a good sports reporter you 100% have to have a passion for it I think because it's a, it's a slightly different discipline I would say football journalism and sport journalism as a whole is that of course the news stories are absolutely fundamental to it but also because match reporting remains a part of our offering I think you have to be able to convey the excitement and the tension and the um, atmosphere of events and I think it's only really possible to do that if you do love the game. I don't think any football journalist is going to last long if they're sort of being sent to games and, and finding it a chore. I mean, not every game is like the one I watched last night on the telly between United and PSG where it's thrilling and end-to-end and there's there's instance. There are terrible football matches. I mean, that's a fact of life. But I think you have to walk into that press box every time just thrilled that you're going to see a, a football match and, and that you're going to sharing this kind of collective experience and describe it and reflect it and try and pull the issues out. I don't think you can do that without loving football. Sam, that leads us nicely into what I really want to talk to you uh, most about, really, which is you found and reported one of the biggest football stories of the last 12 months, or well, maybe even beyond that, the Project Big Picture uh, exclusive. What, what were the origins of that exclusive? 
Um, well, I think it was clear that over uh, over the period of lockdown, um, and as as clubs lost tens of millions of pounds, that no options were off the table, and that there was a time where they felt justified in thinking radically, and. As we know, that turned out to be the American owners, principally of, of Liverpool and Manchester United, who I think have tended towards the more conservative aspect over the course of their ownership, but felt empowered to then think a little bit more radically. These talks, it turned out, have been going on for much longer than just the period of lockdown. But what was clear to me during lockdown was that there was a real tension. I mean, as you probably remember, there were some clubs that didn't really want the Premier League to start again, uh, or they wanted it to start again with no jeopardy of relegation, which was never going to be, never going to be a, a a goer with the broadcasters or indeed most the majority of clubs in the league. There's no action without consequences, and that tension found its way through to the big clubs, who obviously desperately needed the league to start again to avoid broadcaster rebates and to try to start the process of fans coming back into stadiums and I felt that that was always there looming in the background that okay you know it does take 14 clubs to vote through the restart of the league if that is um, prevented from happening by clubs who are at the bottom of the league and fear relegation then there will be a consequence to that and that consequence will be that the bigger clubs who are committed to the Premier League as things stand will start to feel differently about their loyalties to the Premier League and uh, that to me was always a really interesting dynamic that although the big clubs needed the 14 to restart the league and in a way had to they had to bring everyone with them to do it what they were thinking all the time was we don't want to be dictated to by the Brighton uh, Brightons of this world or the uh, Watfords as it was then and so I was always cognizant, even when the when the league restarted, that that tension was still there. And really, that's what Project Big Picture was about. It was about how can the big clubs, the clubs that are never facing relegation, the clubs that go into each season wondering, could they win the title? Will they qualify for the Champions League, etc.? How will they prevent themselves being backed into a corner again by what is essentially the democracy of the Premier League? One club, one vote. And the more I kind of pursued that, the more it became evident that there was a plan for that. And that was what turned out to be Project Big Picture. Tell us about how you pursued that. I mean, what, is that what does that mean in terms of day-to-day? Because I'm, you know, I'm sure you've got your other stories that are, you're, you're working on mm. uh, for the next day's paper uh, and for the website. But you know, what, what are you pushing along in terms of just probing that issue where you feel there's a bigger story going on? Once you get a kind of idea of the outline of it, you have to go to people that you trust and ask them. And one of the one of the sad realities of being a journalist, as you know, Ian, is, is that you can't you can't you can't force anyone to tell you anything really. Much though you'd love to be able to be in that position, you, you there's there's no there's no obligation on anyone. It, you're really at at the mercy of your contacts, really, and and what they are prepared to disclose to you, and that's hard. I mean, even some of the best journalists in the world, they you know, or in this country, you can see that they've got close to stories and not quite got there, and and that's a that's a reality. But once you once you have an outline of of what's going on, you can go to certain people that you trust and and say, what do you think? You just need someone to throw the door open for you, really. And the more people you can you can go to, the more chance that you have. But obviously, you're always cognizant of the fact that there are others 
you know there's many many really good football journalists and general sports journalists on on rival papers who who are capable of of kind of getting this information so the more that you the more that you disclose the little you know the more that you're aware that it could come out somewhere else at the heart of this story is this working document isn't it Sam? revitalization authored by um Liverpool ownership. Yeah. Mm. Were you aware that there was a document that existed and so therefore your quest was just to find that document and see what was in it? Yes, I mean, I was aware there was some sort of plan out there. Until I saw it, I wasn't uh, aware of how detailed it was. So, yes, you're right. The, The good thing about the document is that once you have it and once you've established that it's genuine and, and you're happy about that, then that's very good for the lawyers of the paper because clearly you are alleging that big, powerful, billionaire owners of football clubs are talking about reducing the number of clubs in the Premier League. They're talking about drastically changing where the money goes. So you want, you need to be sure about that. And the document was a perfect kind of gateway to that, to being able to write that story. So yes, once I had the document, um, once I'd established that it was, it was genuine, then suddenly that kind of whole vista opens up. I think we could have written a story without it. I think we had enough to do it. But in the end, from that document, we probably had about three days' worth of stories. And I would say upwards of about six or seven spreads in the sports section. You know, we're talking about uh, getting on for ten stories. And so having all that detail, which was fascinating from the tables of, of how much money they projected Championship and League 1 and League 2 clubs would be given from the infrastructure policy whereby you could get money to invest in your stadium, you could get retrospective money to invest in your stadium. All that was in the document and that was that was elements that I had no clue about. You know, I had an idea about that there was a radical change in where the revenue of the Premier League would go to but I, I had no idea that, that there were those details about the way they were changing academy football the way they proposed to change or the, introduce this infrastructure fund that was, that was the sort of things I only learned about when I saw the document You know, you seem like a very modest guy but I want you to set aside that modesty. Why did that document end up in your possession as opposed to on the desks of sports reporters at the Times, the Guardian, Independent, whoever else you want to you, you want to mention? I mean, I wouldn't say this this was a kind of characteristic that was exclusive to me. I mean, I, I'm sure those newspapers that you mentioned, they, those reports have it too. But I think the tenacity in the end is that when you make it clear that that this is not something that you're prepared to let go and that you know that you have established enough of the story already that eventually, I think, demonstrating to people in your business that you are trustworthy, that you you would never, ever betray a source, but also that you consider this absolutely in the public interest and something that is fundamental to the health and the finances of the game that you cover and also that you really care about I think people uh, respect that whatever business you work in whether it's journalism whether it's football uh, whether it's politics I think people respect that kind of tenacity and that refusal to just sort of be fobbed off and in the end once people realise that you know 20% then I think they're prepared to help you with the other 80% 
and I'm not saying look I have there have been many times where I've had a sniff of something and another newspaper's got it or I just haven't got it over the line or five years later it's someone's written it in their autobiography and I kick myself I mean as you know in those moments are absolutely painful and there's there's just no um there's no way it's very hard to forgive yourself I think when you don't quite get there you have to in the end but um I was determined on this on this occasion that I wasn't going to let this one go. I just felt for my paper there was it was too good a thing to let go, and I made that clear to people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's something that your students should know. You should never apologise for being sort of dogged <laughs> and determined. And that's what I think that's kind of what people expect from journalists. And I'm sure there's there's a few people who are sick of my number flashing up on their phone. But in the end all's well that ends well I don't think I think it was a good thing that it was discussed among all 20 Premier League clubs I think it was a good thing that it was out there um, in the media and, and people were talking about it and I think that even those clubs who probably felt a bit sore I mean we're talking about United and Liverpool would agree that at some point they had to present these ideas and they weren't they weren't universally bad ideas I think there was a lot of, that was very good in Project Big Picture but in the end, I think what they were talking about in terms of rescinding the the, the one the uh, one club one vote was just unacceptable, and I can't see that coming back for a while. Yet. Just describe for us that that moment and your feelings when you got the first sight of that working document. I think your your primary concern is a cold sweat, thinking I I, I need to I need to kind of uh, absorb this as quickly as possible and turn it into some readable copy. It jumped around quite a lot, and there is there is that actually it was described to me by um, a very experienced journalist, Paul McCarthy, who who was a former News of the World sports editor, who I um, had a conversation, and he always says that there's this funny, there's this strange affliction that journalists have that the moment before you're about to publish, you 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 kind of start to doubt yourself all over again. But the beauty of it was, and he's right, that is absolutely right. It's a kind of natural human reaction, but I think when you have that document in front of you, it's so reassuring. And it was complicated and it did need working through and it needed working through fast. And there's no excuses for getting anything wrong when you've got it all there in front of you. And I was very lucky on the Sunday morning, which uh, when I went into the office that morning, uh, October the 11th, was that I could call upon my colleagues to help me because I realised that once we had the information, we needed to present it effectively and quickly. And I'm very fortunate that Jeremy Wilson gave up his whole Sunday that day and, and helped me go through it and make and just double-checked and gave opinions. You know, it's crucial in those circumstances. My boss, Adam Sills, uh, who sort of oversaw the whole publication of it, I think you need that support. Um, but I won't, to go back to your original question, yeah, I mean, it was great excitement. I mean, I, my feeling is always football journalism is a bit like, a lot of the time it feels a bit like trying to describe a house by looking through the keyhole. And, and you get little glimpses of what things look like in there. But every now and again, every now and again, someone opens the front door and brings you in. And that was a moment where I felt I've, I've crossed the threshold. I'm inside and I can, I know, I know what needs to, you know, I know the full extent of what is being proposed here. So that, yes, there, there was an exciting moment, but, but then your thoughts immediately turned to how are we gonna execute this and how are we gonna do this most effectively and accurately? I got the document on a Saturday night. I spoke to Rick Parry, who was at the centre of it, and we did an interview with him on on that Sunday. Well, we published an interview. I spoke with him on the Saturday night, and you know that was a a great interview. I mean, he didn't hold back about what he uh, about 
his, in his support of these very radical changes. I mean, he is the Football League chairman, so clearly it was, it was in his members' favour. I, I worked on it overnight, and then I went into the office early on that Sunday morning. And that's when you, I think you feel like you, you have to make a decision on, on publication, where it's not, ultimately it's not my decision, it's, it's, that, it's my boss. But in the old days, let's talk about the old days, I mean, when I started in my career, clearly it was not a digital first operation, it was a print first. And what we would have won, you know, what we would have done then would, we would have, we would have held onto it for, for the next day's paper. There's no question about that. But the world has changed. And so the discussion was really, how quickly can we do this? How quickly can we, can we get a, a good package of stories together in the end with, with Adam's guidance and with Jeremy's help, we were ready to go about midday, and we just felt, we just felt there was no point waiting. Really, um, again, lots of good journalists on rival papers. The 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 EFL clubs were about to be told about Project Big Picture, so um, yeah, the feeling was was that uh, certainly among the uh, the upper echelons of the paper that we should go with it there and then. And the and the funny thing was, was that England were actually playing that day. They 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 beat Belgium that day. And normally you would have you'd have thought, well, let's get the England game out of the way. But this was too big, really. As a as a news organisation, we wanted to own the story, as and and we wanted to be right out in front of it. And so that's that's why we we published on a Sunday lunchtime, which is unusual, but um, it's a sign of how things have changed. What has been the reaction to publishing that story, Sam, and and, and what's been the impact, positive or negative? Well, main positive impact is. Is, is in our readership it's um you know we are a uh, subscription model and 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 it's driven subscriptions and it's driven uh, clicks and that's that's very important to us you know we are a commercial organization and we have targets so that's that's critical um that's from the newspaper point of view i think uh, the reaction in terms of football was that um it was generally that people didn't like it i mean people people were cross about a lot of the proposals, a lot of the clubs, in fact, told me later that they were reading about it for the first time in the Telegraph, that they hadn't had sight of, of the documents, and a lot of, you know, a couple of clubs did actually ask me if they, if I would mind sending them the document itself because they hadn't seen it. So, I would say the reaction among readers was that they didn't like it because they they felt it was a power grab, which it was. Um, it was a power grab in with a kind of. A benevolent dictatorship sort of style where they felt <laughs> the big clubs felt they were giving something to get something back but most of, importantly it generated a lot of discussion it was I mean I got messages from people I hadn't heard from, from in years in football wanting to talk about it I think it intrigued people because I think the Fenway group led by John W Henry and the Glazer family at Manchester United although they are very much part of the discussion in English football we don't hear directly from them very often so it was a real insight into how they think and how they see the game and its and its structure that's fascinating really because these are the people that own the biggest clubs in English football so the reaction the reaction was one of of uh, people were intrigued by it but once they got their head around the details I don't think they I don't think they liked it very much in terms of the proposal of course lower down the leagues I think clubs who are never going to have that sort of power didn't really care because they weren't really giving anything up so it was really fascinating to see the kind of debate um I had one friend who's works in Miami now who who 
who rang me and said that even the da- the mums and dads on the touchline at his kids game in Florida were talking about it and that I think that was one of the most satisfying parts of it for me really is just that it has a new story it had real cut through people everyone had an opinion on it and I and I love that I find that those are the kind of stories you want I don't think as a journalist you have any responsibility to the institutions you're involved to other than to be right you know the institutions that you are reporting on I don't think you have any responsibility other than to 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 report accurately and fairly it's not your job to do it when it's convenient for them let's put it that way and and although I think a lot of your students may find or other journalists that although people get upset at the time about what they quickly realise is that actually that's immaterial. The you're you're there to report, and you're not working to their timescale. I, I so in that respect, I I, I work for a news organisation. I don't work in football. And my responsibility is to my news organisation. Um, having said that, as someone who loves football and cares about it, and wants as many clubs as possible to do well and to thrive, and and for the game to be healthy. I do feel these things are better out in in the light and and where they can be properly discussed and they're not kind of backroom deals that are presented as fait accompli. I think that's much fairer for the game and for all the stakeholders, whether that's Stevenage FC or whether that's Manchester United. I think that I think that's important. And I think in the fullness of time, people, everyone involved, will realise that it was better that it came out. I don't think anyone's angry that it came out they might have been a bit embarrassed or they might have it might have caught them a little bit underprepared but I think in the end it's healthy for the game if that's what we're discussing that it's out there any advice to our listeners who who maybe aspire to be sports writers or football writers I get a lot of what clearly very capable writers young writers sending to me uh, this is my blog on Real Madrid this is what I think Manchester United should do in the next transfer window and and that's great, but I think what what's a really good way to start is to go and get a story, however local it is, at your club, whether that's Gateshead or Stevenage or or even lower. It doesn't matter how low you go down the leagues. There's always a story there. And the, the occasions I've been sent a piece by someone saying, "Oh, I found an ex Chelsea academy boy playing at my local club, and this is his story, and this is how he ended up there." I f- I read that to the end because I'm just fascinated as a football fan of how that happened. So I would always say, go out there and do something and go and interview someone and, and find a story. And don't be embarrassed about it. Go and ask them and your enthusiasm for their story will rub off on them and they'll want to tell you it. And often I get why when you're uh, consuming a lot of journalism, you think you should be writing about the biggest clubs. But the chances are you're not going to be able to write about Real Madrid like a Sid Lowe or a Rory Smith or guys who've had years and years of experience and speak Spanish and, and know people at the club. So so go and do something. Go and start simple. And and, and, and I think sports editors will be really impressed by that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a sports editor, but I, I think if I was, I, I would be. The, the other thing I'd say is that if you get the chance to go off diary once you're in a job, then do it. And it's not easy, I get that. If you're a one-man band on your local paper, a one-man, a one-woman band on your local paper covering your local club and you're caught in that, that sort of cycle of press conference, match, press conference, match, and that's, that's tough to do. But if you can just break out every now and again and do, go and do something, 
a little bit different and you miss that press conference or you might miss that game but never mind you know get out of your comfort zone and do that and it's easy for me to say working for the telegraph where they they do give us the resources to go and do that it's harder to do i get that and then the last thing i would say to young journalists especially student journalists is that the future i'm 100 percent convinced is that you work as a team and i've said it a few times but the best thing about working at the telegraph is is the support from my colleagues and the way that we work together on stories and and there a lot of the time these are stories where seconds count where if we want to beat another paper then we know that we've got to get this story over the line quickly and it's it's hard to do that on your own the people i work with jason burt john percy matt law mike mcgraw i mean just to name a few they they're very generous as colleagues and and we celebrate each other's successes and we commiserate you know when we when we get beaten and and you'll probably know more about this Ian than me but when I came into journalism I was quite aware of of newsrooms playing journalists off against each other and that that notion of creative tension and I always thought that was wrong it always felt wrong to me I wanted to work as part of a team and and I think that era of the you know trying to be the superstar and do everything that's that's over that's over and what certainly what my desk want and what what I think is the benefit of 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 that approach is being part of a team and sometimes it's not going to be your name on the story for reasons that it could be quite complicated but as long as you get that story as a as a paper then that's what's important and I think if you're you know when you're starting as a student journalist you make those alliances and you you make those friendships and they're very important because one day you know you you'll be working you may be working together and you you have to trust each other and you have to trust each other's sources because it could be both your names on the story so you don't want to be wrong but i think certainly in football i mean i don't know politics or business or so on it's become so big and so fast moving there are so many you know so many but there are a lot of good organi- of good news media organizations that the only way that you survive is to work as a team you know that that would be my takeaway as a, as a as a as a young journalist once you've proved that you can work as a team i think you're a very valuable asset